Well, every uh, fourth one, Monday, as I mentioned, we have during the second segment of this program uh, what we call the University of Dallas uh, segment. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Sanford, in the midst of his very, very busy schedule as being the provost and professor of philosophy at the University of Dallas, comes in. He always brings an interesting guest with him, and we talk about a virtue or something uh, mm-hmm. really interesting. So, Dr. Sanford, thanks for coming back. Good to see you. It's always a pleasure to be here, Dave. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. And, and my guest today is Dr. Anthony Nussmeyer, and I thought we would focus on on two things. One is is um, you might call it the virtue of learning in uh, a second language and why we have that at the University of Dallas. And the second is to to talk about Dante and in particular his his Divine Comedy. So Dr. Anthony Nussmeyer is a um, assistant professor of of modern languages and Italian in particular, and he is a Dante scholar and a scholar of many other things as well, and has been a a constant advocate for all things Italian um, in Irving and outside of of um, Irving into, into Dallas. So, thank you and welcome to the program, Dr. Nussmeyer. Thank you very much for having me on today and and have uh, giving us a chance to promote. The study of Italian at the University of Dallas and in the, the broader metroplex here. So, you know, I, I, one of the things I like to do when I bring on a guest, and, and I, I, my last guest was, was President Hibbs, and so, um, we, we talked about philosophy quite a bit, and we, we share, um, a, a common background in philosophy, and, and, um, I do have a background in, in languages, but, not on the level that that you have. I, I was a, a Greek and Latin major and thought for a time about going on and, and studying Greek and Latin and decided not to. You, on the other hand, decided to persevere in your study of, of Italian and <laughs> and, um, and and now uh, dedicate your your life to its study and and its teaching. So, what what propelled your motivation? Sure, yeah. Um, despite my, my very German last name, it doesn't get any more German than Nussmeier, Nussmeier. Um, I have some Italian background on my mother's side. Uh, my last name is Grossi, mm-hmm. and so I'd get a lot more respect in the Italian community if my name were Anthony Grossi and not Anthony Nussmeier. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm proud of both my last name and my maternal uh, heritage. And so growing up, my grandparents uh, spoke Italian. Uh, they lived in Chicago. We lived uh, not in Chicago, but whenever we visited them, they, we would hear them arguing in Italian. <laughs> they chose to speak in Italian when they were arguing with one another. Uh, it, but more specifically, I found out later on that they were not speaking Italian. They were speaking dialect mm-hmm. from a little village in Abruzzo uh, named Castel di Sangro, a beautiful little village that unfortunately was destroyed completely by both Allied bombing and the Nazis during uh, World War II because the Gustav line ran literally right through the center of town. And uh, we had a chance to visit uh, when I was an adult. But as I was growing up, I was always fascinated by my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have to know what they're saying. Uh, and so as a young adult, having studied Spanish in a very desultory manner like most people do in high school, I uh, arrived at university as a freshman and began studying Italian and, and dedicating myself to it. So uh, the fact that I'm an adult language learner, I think, gives me a big advantage in teaching my students today, most of whom, as you can imagine, arrive at the University of Dallas not having studied Italian at all. Mm-hmm. I think in my three and a half years here, we've had three or four students who have had prior experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, others start completely ex novo. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I've noticed, speaking of yourself as a, an adult learner of, of this language, um, one of the things I really admire and um, am, am envious of is I, I see you with your young children quite a bit, and, and you're constantly speaking Italian to them, and 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 they're learning to respond, and 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 um, um, so clearly you think there are some advantages to to learning it there, at, at an earlier age. There are, well. there are. It's not that we that we cannot learn languages as adults. Um, I, I'm proof positive that can happen. Um, it's not that we lack neuroplasticity. What we do lack is the we have an, an affective filter when we're mm-hmm. adults. Think about when you're younger. What do you do? You make analogies. You make hypotheses. When my four-year-old says something like, I catched the ball, mm-hmm. right? He's he's not thinking about language. He's just saying to himself, well, the most common past participle in English is that ED, mm-hmm. to catch, to catched, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, no, no, Mateo, it is caught. And he says, okay, whatever. <laughs> whereas, whereas an adult um, would sort of pull back. Mm-hmm. And, and feel some embarrassment, mm-hmm. right? We're inhibited mm-hmm. as adult language learners, and so the best way to learn a language as an adult, it's easier to say and, and not very difficult or not very easy to do, is to be uninhibited. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you often hear people say, "Well, when I when I drink wine, I speak Spanish better." Mm-hmm. It's not that you speak Spanish better when you're drinking wine, but it's that you're uninhibited. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my students, who are almost all adult language learners. Try to be as uninhibited as possible. Mm-hmm. Make hypotheses, make analogies. Um, and as far as benefits of learning a language, there are practical benefits. There are sort of more philosophical benefits. There are vocational benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you, it's said that if you speak more than one language, you will delay the onset of Alzheimer's later in life. Well, those, those um, are. I mean, <laughs> um, I'm glad you're going in this direction. And 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 you know, it's. As, as valuable as that is, it's not with that in mind that the constructors of the core curriculum made it a, a requirement to, to learn a, a second language. But every student who comes to the University of Dallas has to take, at minimum, 12 credits, unless they've tested out of, of some of those, of, of a foreign language. And what, what is the point of that? Yeah, so uh, I've thought a lot about this even before I got to the University of Dallas, but obviously with our particular curriculum, with the core, uh, we're not, we don't define ourselves as a great book school, but what we do... We read the seminal texts that have um, sort of formed the Western intellectual tradition. And why do we do that? Well, they are sources of wisdom, and they've shaped who we are, and they've shaped or originated the ideas that have resulted in, in who we are as human beings today. And if our rationale for reading these seminal texts, these great books, these foundational works of Western mm-hmm. of the Western intellectual tradition is to bring ourselves closest to those sources of wisdom – well, there's no way to bring ourselves uh, any closer to uh, what is the sort of um, original source of wisdom than to read it in the original language. Mm-hmm. Um, so to read Dante in translation is great, but to read Dante in Italian is even better. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a saying in Italian, traduttore, traditore. A translator is a traitor, right? <laughs> Traduttore, traditore. And, and of course, this sort of position can be extreme, and, and one, it would end up with one saying, well, you can never read anything except in the original language, and that's not realistic or mm-hmm. even feasible. But where we can, when we can, uh, I think that it is the way to draw ourselves closest mm-hmm. uh, to those original sources of wisdom that we believe have formed us, have mm-hmm. formed who we yeah. are mm-hmm. as, as human beings. Um, and... Beyond that, it's just beautiful to read uh, yep. in the original language. I mean, to read Dante in the Italian is to read something different mm-hmm. than in translation. And translation is is difficult. Um, 
think about the Italian uh, buongiorno, right? How do you translate that into English? You now, can't. Now, right? I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've heard you um, say that that Dante invented Italian, and and that that surprised me the first time I heard it. Um, could you could you explain what sure, that means? Sure. Yes. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that he invented Italian, but no. what what we do say is that he is the father of Italian, mm-hmm. and that's simply because he wrote uh, in the language that would come to be known as Italian and was the most successful in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he writes his Divine Comedy between 1302 and 1321, uh, finishing the final canticle of Paradise um, upon his death, um, he's writing in a sort of pastiche of language. He's writing in his native, what is his native, Florentine. Um, he has Arabisms, he has Provencalisms, he has uh, words taken from French. Mm. Um, and so it's certainly a mix. Italian, as we know it today, existed before Dante. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he did, he's sort of, it's the difference between an innovator and an inventor, right? So Steve Jobs doesn't invent the computer, but he innovates, mm-hmm. and he's able to sort of market it and, and publicize it and promote it better than anyone mm-hmm. before him had done. Dante does something similar. He doesn't invent Italian. The first um, documented um, textual example of written Italian is from 960, mm-hmm. right? So we're talking about 200 years before Dante was born. I'm sorry, 300 years before Dante was born in 1265. Um, and poetry existed in Italian for 30 to 40 years before Dante himself was even born, beginning in 1234 at the mm-hmm. court of Frederick II in Sicily. Um, so he doesn't invent Italian, mm-hmm. but what he does, he writes better than anyone else in Italian, mm-hmm. and he's mo- more successful than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, we have still today over 880 extant manuscripts of the Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a huge number for the medieval period. Um by 1351, so within a generation or two of Dante's death, there was an expression in the city of Verona, and the expression was, oh, that's El Libro di Dante. Mm-hmm. That's Dante's book. And it was meant to signify something that was universal knowledge. Mm-hmm. The way we might say today, oh, thanks, Captain Obvious, or everybody okay. knows that. Uh-huh. Uh, they were already saying within a couple of generations, oh, that's El Libro di Dante. So he doesn't invent Italian, but he is, again, the most successful promoter mm-hmm. uh, of what would come to be known as Italian. Well, well let's let's talk about, thank you for that, uh, the divine comedy itself. So it's um, um, it remains one of the most significant texts of, of all time. But it, what, what, what kind of success did it meet with immediately right if it just took a couple of generations for for um, um, this vernacular um, existence of a, of a Danteism right obviously had a, a great impact and and why you know what is it about the the divine comedy that's that's timeless um, but but also rooted in particularities sure uh, it becomes what we would call a medieval bestseller almost immediately uh, both in written form and it circulated, at least according to some anecdotes we have, it circulated orally as well. Dante tells a great, or sorry, not Dante, but in uh, a collection of medieval novella, there's a great apocryphal story about Dante coming back to Florence and hearing um, a mule driver recite aloud the Divine Comedy. And so the mule driver's walking down the streets of Florence, Dante's behind him, and he hears the mule driver uh, starting, Nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita, Arr! As he's urging his mule along, mi ritrovai per una selva oscura. Arr! Che la derivita via era smarrita. Arr! <laughs> and Dante comes up, smacks him on the head, and he says, Hey, I didn't put those R's in the comedy. 
and neither should you. <laughs> um, so Dante, it's apocryphal because he never returned to Florence after his exile in 1302, mm-hmm. and if he had, he would have been killed. Um, it's apocryphal, but it it's, uh, falls under the category of fake but accurate in the mm-hmm. sense that Dante was very concerned about the circulation and the, the future of the Divine Comedy. So it becomes an immediate bestseller. He finds ways to propagate it and to protect it. We're all familiar, and many of us might be familiar with the fact that he ends every canticle with the word stars, mm-hmm. stelle, right? Well, we're all familiar with the fact that he writes in terza rima, mm-hmm. where the second verse of each tercet provides the first and third verses, the rhyme word, of the first and third verses of the successive tercet. tercet. So it propels you forward. There was also a way to protect it, so you couldn't change it. Mm-hmm. Um, because... It was very easy for a scribe to change a name, a family member's name, for example, whom he didn't want to find in the Inferno, uh, which happened. Um, and so Dante found ways to protect it and to make his uh, comedy a bestseller. So it becomes a bestseller uh, quite quickly. Uh, it spreads throughout most of Italy. Um, it's read in certain circles, not all circles, uh, but at, at various courts and among various classes, even merchant classes and, and mm-hmm. others. And uh, it then becomes a European-wide bestseller. But the fortune of Dante's comedy was not linear mm-hmm. in the sense that you mentioned um, even today, 700 years later, we're reading the Divine Comedy, not just uh, us uh, at, at the University of Dallas, but many people still read the comedy. Well, during the Renaissance, the very capaciousness that we appreciate about the comedy, right, its history, its philosophy, its theology, its poetry, was actually a negative um, in the opinion of many of the sort of Renaissance tastemakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they criticized Dante for straying from the dictates of Aristotle's poetics and for trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. Right? What is this? Is it history? Is it literature? Is it theology? Who does he think he is? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as I said, it was a bestseller immediately. During the Renaissance, there's an attenuation of mm-hmm. his popularity. And then in the 17th century, for the longest time, it was actually called the Secolo Senza Dante, the century without Dante. There were no pu- printed editions of the Divine Comedy published um, from Italy hmm. in the 17th century. Interesting. Um, and that was because some of Dante's um, dalliances with theology and particularly talking about popes mm-hmm. um, came very close to putting him on the index of banned books, mm-hmm. as was one other work of his, the On the Monarchy, De Monarchia, mm-hmm. uh, that was, was put on the list of uh, banned books. Uh, the comedy never was, but it's... Its popularity sort of waxed and waned. And then uh, in the 19th century, it was very popular among the English romantics, of course, mm-hmm. who fixated on the Inferno and especially on episodes like Paolo, um, Paolo and Francesca. Well, you know, yeah. now in, um, in, in our, our cultural moment, right, where we're trying to recover a, um, and promote as much as we can um, a, a deep sense for the Catholic intellectual and literary tradition, um, what, what role ought Dante... Um, in, in particular, the Divine mm-hmm. Comedy play, and how accessible is it? I mean, you were mentioning to me on on the way over here that that um, uh, there are several books that that focus on the Divine Comedy as a kind of self help, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that is connected, as I understand it, to his reason for for writing it. But but you know, it, it is it is it a, a, analogous to say that that Dante's Divine Comedy is is not unlike the stained glass windows within a cathedral where it tells the story of Christianity, or is that is that too too much of a? Of I, a I don't I don't think that structure. Dante himself would object uh, to that description. 
Um, so thinking about our own cultural moment and the, the Catholic and Western intellectual tradition and, and how it can speak to us um, today, um, it very much tells a salvific mm-hmm. story. Um, there's a, a letter that Dante wrote to the Lord of Verona, Cangrande della Scala, who was his one-time patron uh, towards the end of his life. And the letter may be apocryphal. Um, the scholarly consensus is that half was probably written by Dante, the other half not. But the, the point is the description that Dante gives of the final canticle of paradise and of the entire comedy is this, that I wrote this in order to bring people living from this life, from a state of misery to a state of happiness, mm-hmm. a state of earthly and spiritual happiness. And that progression mirrors the arc of the comedy and it sort of mirrors the arc of our own lives, right? What is the ultimate goal of any Catholic Christian to get to heaven, mm. right? Who is the ultimate source of wisdom? God himself. Dante ends the letter to Cangrande with that very line. He says, this poem ends with God because he is the ultimate governor and the ultimate source of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so is an appropriate and fitting end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so something that begins in misery, like our, possibly our own earthly uh, lives, ends in happiness. Mm-hmm. And, and Dante previews this, and I think this is important for our time too, not just to read the Inferno, right? The Inferno is titillating, it's interesting. But he says very early on in verses 7 and 8 of the first canto, he says, Ma, per trattar del bene che io vi trovai, dirò delle altre cose che vi ho scorte. To talk about the good that I found, I will recount the other things that I saw. Mm-hmm. So he's not just telling us about this difficult experience uh, going through the inferno, but he wants to tell us about the salvific experience he has going up Mount Purgatory and then finally arriving uh, to possibly put his eyes on God himself mm-hmm. um, in, in the final canticle of paradise. And so for us, uh, you read Dante can also give us a lot of hope. You speak about these self-help books. There was a book written in 2015 by Rod Dreher called How Dante Can Save Your Life. You know, Fra mm. Dantista talking about the relevance of Dante. There couldn't have been anything more perfect. Mm. Um, that, that Dante is able to pull one out of a sort of spiral of grief uh, to give hope. Um, and to represent wisdom, to represent virtues such as justice as well. Uh, it's it's just a phenomenally capacious, as I said. So, so for our, our listeners um, who haven't read Dante, uh, do you recommend just picking up a translation, or should they read? It, do, do they need help to, yeah. to read Dante? Yeah, I I, I think that um, it can almost be distracting to to have copious uh, notes in a commentary and to pick up the primary source is probably best initially upon a first reading. One one interesting way to read the Commedia might be this for uh, the uninitiated. It might be to read it vertically. This is sort of all the rage. There was a great three-volume uh, series of books published recently in which they read first the Inferno, then the Purgatory, and then the Paradise, and you read the same canto, numbered canto in each one. And so if a reader would like to, or listener would like to start with uh, the sixth canto of every canticle, then that would be ideal. Mm. Great. Thank you. Very nice. Uh, well, appreciate it. That was really an interesting conversation. Thank you so much. You, and uh, appreciate it very much. Uh, again, uh, well, this has been the University of Dallas segment here on the Good News Show. Dr. Jonathan Sanford, uh, the provost of the University of Dallas, and his guest, uh, Dr. Anthony Nussmeyer, assistant professor of Italian. And this Friday is the insta- the inauguration, the inauguration of, of President Hibbs. Tom Hibbs. Yes, indeed. Okay. And so. I understand that uh, this isn't, hey, everybody show up. This is kind of already sold out, I understand, right? That's my 
my understanding, yeah. So it, you can go to the website and uh, see if there's anything still remaining. But yeah, we we have limited seating and and quite a few people are coming in. But but there there may be. I'm I'm not organizing the event, yeah, so, right. okay. so I don't I don't want to give specifics that yeah. may be inaccurate. But if you go to the website and click on inauguration, you can see. Right. For There's detail, yeah, details on the website. U Dallas at edu, and uh, forgot to mention also at the beginning of the show, Cecil, we've got a couple of uh, live remotes coming up this week. Friday, yeah. uh, six to seven at Nolan High School, right before their football game. Uh, we're going to have uh, a live remote broadcast with the Knights of Columbus mm-hmm. and some of the, uh, the the staff and faculty and administration of Nolan, and then you're going to be at the groundbreaking. Yes, uh, at St. Philip the Apostle, uh, Parish is currently in Louisville, but we're going to be at the new ground uh, in Flower Mound. Which so. we've already done a couple of broadcasts yes. from that place, right? Absolutely, Okay, yes. very good. So that's going to do it for the program for today. I'm guessing the music is going to start any second now, right? You have a few uh, more seconds. Oh, okay. <laughs> a few more seconds. We, 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 we could squeeze I, a little more I, Dante I, I, reflection I, I, in here, I, I, I Dave. You know, <laughs> Dante conversation too early. <laughs> oh, yes. No. And uh, did he put popes in uh, in hell? I he did. Well, I, if we have like 30 seconds, I'll tell the most uh, famous or infamous um, instance. So uh, the comedy is written. It's set in 1300, right? So Dante is writing between 1302 and 1321. It's set in 1300. Um, he really doesn't like Pope Boniface VIII. He wants to put him in hell. Boniface, Boniface doesn't die until 1304. So Dante has a case of mistaken identity in Inferno 19. And we read, is that you, Boniface? <laughs> and uh, Boniface, of course, is not dead yet, but it was uh, a way to put him in hell before he had died. Oh, amazing. Thanks so much.